This week, and out now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking The Five Bloods. Do you have the CCR record? Let's go through the album collection. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies and more weekly. We get to dig into movies via mostly spoiler-free review, the occasional commentary track, or some fun movie topics. This is episode 409, 409... The clean episode? Yes, the clean episode. Okay. We did it. Appropriate. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Four to five bloods. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, yes, we are in fact talking Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. And joining us to talk to The Five Bloods, we have from Cal State Fullerton, his cicadas don't sound like the ones back at home. It's Professor Mike Dillon. What's happening? Or what's what's going on? What's going say. on is the appropriate question, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So how are you doing, Mike? I'm well. First and foremost, I hope you're both staying safe. Yes. And second, before we begin, thank you for inviting me on and giving me the opportunity to use your wonderful platform to say thank you to all of our healthcare workers for their efforts, and also right now to the BLM organizers for protesting in ways that are aggressive, but also peaceful. Yes, this is true. Certainly good things to note, and that's going to bring us into some show notes. We got a, we got a lot here, because we uh, we kind of skipped a week so we can talk address some important topics, which is what I was going to mention right now. Um, in case you, I mean, for one thing, Mike has already referenced this, but in case you didn't listen last week, um, in because of all the you know the the black lives matter movement and the protests associated with them and what have you uh, abe and i we did put together a special episode focused entirely on that topic um i think we had a really good discussion and uh, if you haven't listened to it already it's available now on itunes uh, also up last week uh marcus robinson friend of the show and i we recorded an episode focused entirely on black cinema um which is also up on itunes so yeah all of that's up there uh and i think there's some really strong episodes certainly focused in the moment uh that we're living in currently and uh, completely unrelated from that, we also have a new commentary track for Dick Tracy. <laughs> That's up on iTunes now as well. And uh, we do have a plan for next month's commentary. It's going to be Jaws in honor of its 45th anniversary. Needless to say, I'm very excited to talk about Jaws since it is basically my favorite movie. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, uh, we could even go over some of our upcoming schedule just to keep you guys in the loop here uh, because things are pretty figured out for the most part. Uh, our upcoming Wednesday bonus episode is going to be for Artemis Fowl. Uh, which is getting rave reviews, obviously. Our next our next week from now episode is going to be The King of Staten Island, so you can prepare by watching the Jed Apatow film. Uh, and later at the end of this month, we're going to be talking some best of the year stuff so far. we got some interesting plans for that one, Toe. So uh, keep all that in mind. we got a, we got a lot of cool stuff planned uh, for the future. And uh, let's see, speaking of which, all of these episodes will be on iTunes, where you can give us a rating and review, and that would help pop us up in the old iTunes charts. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe, and, uh, you know, Log up and write up and star up and all that. That'd be great. Thank you so much. That sounds awesome. I, Jaws is one of my favorites as well, so I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, that should be a, there should be a lot of voices talking about Jaws and uh, having some interesting conversation because there's, there's plenty to go over. Um, let's see. A couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about The Vast of Night, which is up on Amazon Prime right now. And the second half of that discussion focused on streaming. 
and streaming so streaming services and you know ones that we recommend and what have you. I failed to mention a couple, and I wanted to just point some of those out right now. Uh, there's Shudder, which is focused entirely on horror, and somehow I forgot to mention it, but that is a good one for if for horror fans that want to get entirely into genre mode. Um, Hoopla, which is very similar to Canopy. It requires a library card, but offers a lot of independent and foreign cinema. And um, there's like some TV ones I didn't mention. There's the CBS All Access Pass thing. Um, I know that's one that some people enjoy as well. So I just wanted to mention those. I just wanted to give those a shout out uh, because I failed to mention them on the on the previous episode. And um, let's see what else. Um, <laughs> Uh, we, uh, a friend of the show, Matt Neglia, he invited me to be a part of the Next Next Picture podcast as a guest spot there to talk about Defy Bloods. So after you hear this podcast where we talk about Defy Bloods, you can hear me talk over there because uh, he's a friend of the show and I had a fun time talking with him and his other writers on from Next Spec Chaser. So just giving a shout out to them as well. Okay, that's all the show notes. We've covered everything. All the bases done. Let's get to our other topic, our other our other segment before we get to the main review. What we would have talked about this week. What would have come out if in the you know the pre-bloodshot era when everything was still normal what would have come out now uh it would have been Candyman. we would have talked about Candyman this week um which i was quite excited for but how about you guys hey were you excited for Candyman? yeah it was i was excited to go check it out uh probably because uh the trailer looks pretty great and then um what is his name yaya yaya abdul mateen thank you he, he looked like he was having a really good time making the movie so i was excited to go check it out plus um, I think the original Tony Todd one is on Netflix, and it would have been a nice like little double feature. Mike, how about you? Were you looking forward to Candyman? Yeah, big fan of the original. And uh, I know it's getting delayed. Uh, it's not the kind of movie that I think will just get dumped onto VOD. They want to release it properly in theaters, right? So I hope that by the time it comes out, I mean, we'll have to see how much it uh, uh, builds upon some of the racial issues and sort of urban racial geography and really provocative stuff in the first one but hopefully if that stuff remains it'll get properly absorbed into conversations about our current moment you know yeah that's what i'm hoping for as well and because that element certainly is you know conscious in the original Candyman, and given the the talent involved and what have you i would be surprised if it didn't follow up on that so yeah i believe it's september it's currently it's rescheduled date so we'll, yes we'll, we'll see what happens okay moving on from there let's get to our main review for the Five Bloods. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. Look what I found. Dirty man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. Hey! I have no place to stay. Hey! We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for to Five Bloods. Spike Lee has had a bit of a resurgence. The prolific filmmaker has never really gone away, but a bigger budget and the continued collaborations with co-writer Kevin Wilmot has led to Chirac, the Oscar-winning Black Klansman, and now to Five Bloods. Each of these films are designed to be relevant to the discussion of today, while also providing an entertainingly digestible premise. For this latest effort, Lee travels back to Vietnam, where four veterans reunite for the sake of a mission to recover lost gold and the body of their fallen squad leader, Storm and Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman. This team includes Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and Delroy Lindo, and they're all named Otis, Eddie, Melvin, and Paul after the Four Temptations. The latter's estranged son, played by Jonathan Majors, also joins in out of worry for his father's PTSD, getting the better of him. As the group heads into the jungle, their personalities clash, while the treasure serves as an object of desire for even more than just these five bloods. Mike, 
Where have you been with Spike Lee in recent years, and what did you think of this film? In recent years, um, well, I loved Black Klansman, and uh, there's I have a few gaps actually. The the more you get recent, so I never saw Chirac. It's just one that I never got around to seeing. Um, like you know how it is. There are certain films that you don't see in time for the year end top ten list, and then once that's over, you just kind of never get around the to it. The priority so, kind of shifts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and nobody around me, like in my circles, was particularly enthusiastic about it, and so I, I know I should, but I just never did. But um, for me, the resurgence definitely begins with Black Klansman. He's just doing really uh, things that I find most interesting. Um, <clears throat> I also I haven't uh, done something that I've always wanted to, which is kind of revisit some stuff that uh, I remember really enjoying when I saw them when they first came out. So like Clockers is one of them. Uh-huh. Um, like uh, Get on the Bus is another one that I, I is one of the early, early Spike Lee films that I was exposed to. I have no idea if that's aged well, but I remember both of those feeling really edgy and different. And I think I'd be curious to go back and see how I feel. I actually watched Get on the Bus like just last week and I really enjoyed it. I thought it's it yeah? among his best oh, good? films. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being really impressed, but I mean, as for this film, um, so I, I literally just watched it. I finished it an hour ago, okay. so I'm still, yeah, I'm still processing it. I, I yeah, did like not. it. Yeah, I did like it. I found it, um, initially, I'm sure it's, it's like, it's not you, it's me. I found it a little hard to get into maybe the first hour. It felt a bit meandering and it wasn't really grabbing my attention. And the fact that it's two and a half hours long, wasn't really helping, but I did really warm to it. Once I realized it was becoming the treasure of the Sierra Madre, uh-huh. and I don't, I don't just mean like the stinking badges line, which is forced and stupid. References to that line usually are kind of stupid, but I, I mean like the extended sequence in which Del Rolindo is delirious and talking to himself in the jungle. That's straight out of the Bogart performance. And there's other citations throughout the film as well, like Apocalypse Now and Bridge on the River Kwai come to mind. I'm sure there's more, but. Uh, you know, and tying this to my recent uh, relationship with Spike Lee's films and with Black Klansman, what I think he's doing, this is my read of it anyway, is that he is, um, how do I put this? He's like implicitly drawing attention to how these classical war and adventure narratives that he's citing, how they consistently foreground and privilege white identities and storylines and, and then reframing those stories with black narratives of trauma and violence. And so, like, in particular, Sierra Madre is about people becoming blinded by greed, and it's kind of a cautionary tale. But then reframing that and reframing black greed as a discussion of reparations and legitimate grievance is, like, really interesting and complex. And it's it's giving me a lot to think about right now. And I think he's doing similar things in Black Klansmen in terms of sort of citing earlier cinematic images and, and those legacies as well. And that feels very much a continuation. So that, as a film scholar, has been... Yeah, super interesting to kind of revisit the the things we take for granted in the, the history of classical cinema. Abe, how about you? Where, where are you with this film and Lee? Uh, with Spike Lee, I've been, I think it's like touch and go sometimes. I think some of his films are very super engrossing. Some of them I find, like what Mike had mentioned, sometimes meandering. Um, they always have a really excellent point about either the current time and or something about black life. Um, I mean, He Got Game is a, game, is a movie that we mentioned a lot. And is it great? I don't know if it's great, but there's so much about it, about just growing up in America, trying to be uh, trying to be part of like multiple worlds at once. Um, And I find it very fascinating to have 
Ray Allen, a real basketball player, to do it. Um, as far as like his recent stuff goes, it's great. By the way, it's a great movie. It's <laughs> a peacock game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as like his recent stuff goes, I think Black Clansman was really good. Um, I certainly, I think we talked about it too. That the third act is maybe a, the loosest of the movie, but it's still overall a fantastic piece of of I don't even know what you would call the genre. It's like it's like historical art art or artistic historic history i don't i don't really know but you know there's like this part where harry, Bel- harry belafonte is just talking um amid all these these pictures and and these folks uh, and it's fantastic so with the five bloods what i found fascinating is yes everything that that mike uh had mentioned too in terms of all the themes of these past movies like the, the treasure of sierra madre and also apocalypse now you know um unironically the club that they go to is called apocalypse now um but what i found to be the most um engaging is i guess black lives in war um and something that they bring up a lot is historical context within you you sort of touched upon this too mike you touched upon like the i don't revisionist history of having white people be at the core of all these uh, wars and being the people that are like the lone saviors and african-americans black americans have always been there too i mean they, they even mentioned like crispus addicts um who it's like back in the revolutionary days you know what i mean like the first casualty of of the revolutionary war the so yeah. yeah and it's it's just amazing i i, I love the to some degree some of the cynicism about it because the, there's a part where they talk about uh rambo and they're just saying like man fuck that shit like he's like oh it's a white guy and it's like yeah no we also serve too but the more that you go into it the more that you just i think that you uh, i it's very much like a like the chickens coming home to roost type type of story because everything about it like the vietnam war um and then black lives in the in the vietnam war with the draft you know they give you the percentage but then you also have like the Vietnamese side of things too, where people haven't forgotten. Some people haven't forgotten that. And I haven't been to Vietnam. I'm, I'm not Vietnamese, but I found that fascinating too. It's just like, you know, they still, maybe some of them still have these like, uh, uh, I guess, discriminate feelings toward American GIs. But beyond that, it's also like the black American GIs. Um, and they definitely talked about like, the uh the children left behind too like the quote-unquote bastard children left behind so there's a lot of layers in this movie that i found very very intriguing um as far as like the acting goes the acting is is great across the board Delroy lindo uh knocks it out of the park with his with his um one-man show um but as far as like tension goes i think that the tension comes and goes and i don't know if that was like done purposefully i'm pretty sure that it was but to be honest, like if you're going to ratchet up the tension, I would love to ratchet up the tension like almost all the time. Like there, it starts in the middle of the night with like um, talking about some uh, some wildlife and the animals uh, around them. And then it just gets going even more. And there's like this really intense scene that I that I I love. But then I also hated after a certain outcome was achieved. And, you know, you just get through it. But overall, I. Like most Spike Lee movies that I think about, it's a little long, um, but it does have a lot to cover and it does have a lot to say about almost practically everything that's going on right now, but then also just everything that's going on, uh, the, everything that happened to uh, black lives and black soldiers after the Vietnam War. 
I um, was a large fan of this movie. I, I, I think Spike Lee is on a real roll. Uh, having seen Chirac, uh, I've seen all his movies at this point, but have, you know, and then watching Black Klansman, I, I really like whatever vibe is going on with Lee as well as his co-writer uh, Kevin Wilmot. Like they, they've been collaborating together, and like, it's really just worked in Spike's favor as far as getting like big movies made that have like budgets to work with. And this is no different. This is one of his most ambitious films in terms of one of having one of his largest budgets. And, you know, in his past few films have gone out of New York, but this one goes all the way to Vietnam. And it, you know, in addition to all of the things that you guys have already covered, it's also like a gorgeous movie. It looks fantastic. It has the kind of scope that's required. It has all these great filmmaking elements that really work to the advantage of Spike's style, which can be aggressive and blunt at times, but also knows when to be subtle, knows when to let the visuals do the work or let the filmmaking do the work as opposed to just having characters state something bluntly to screen if it's not like it related to message if it's exposition which just you know you don't need that necessarily but regardless i i'm a i i really like what he does here i think this is among netflix's best movies um as far as that goes like i, I think this is like just like having scorsese involved it's having a re or any number of people but have it's having a real auteur giving him the money he needs to do what he wants to do and it's not the the matter of not having someone to kind of help guide the voice because Spike Lee's been doing his own thing for several decades at this point. He doesn't need a a committee room to help tell him where he needs to take this. Uh, but out outside of that element, yeah, the movie just is wonderful. I think that yeah, the performances. We'll talk more about them. But Del Rolando is obviously getting the most you know awards worthy praise here, and it's very well deserved. He's fantastic in this movie. He's the most complicated character in this movie, and there's so much to say about like what he's going through and everything. But in addition to that, yes, you have a lot of other actors. You have a lot of, you know, interesting topics being delved into. And because the movie is just, a, you know, a hair over two and a half hours, it's a lot of movie. And I can understand, yes, it can meander because that's the nature of a movie like this that spends a lot of time letting you hang out with these guys. But I do think it helps strengthen them as characters. So by the time you get to the end of this thing, I felt a lot for the way things were playing out. It made me emotional in terms of where things went in some areas, um, but also... I look. I've I've seen it twice so far, and I look forward to coming back to it because there's all. I, I, as I said, there's a lot of movie here, and that it will it, because of that. By design, the movie's not. You know, it doesn't need to be watched once to be appreciated. There's so much you can take in by focusing your attention on various aspects of the film that are being delved into, whether it's what's going on with Paul and his PTSD and his thoughts on everything, or what's going on with Clark Peters' characters and uh, the the estranged. Uh, girlfriend that he has there or what's going on with the supporting characters and what their mission is like there's a lot of different aspects of this film that you can kind of play you know read into more as you kind of grow to appreciate this film as just like any other number of films that are very long and packed with a lot of stuff so no i i, I really i really enjoyed this film i think it does so much that's both entertaining as well as meaningful and I, <laughs> I I can't wait to see more of what Spike Lee's doing if he stay, remains on this trajectory, because I think there's just a lot of creative fire that's going on with him right now. Yeah, can I add? So I, I find this phase of Spike Lee really exciting uh, mm -hmm. as well. And, and it's interesting that you put this in the context of like what Netflix is doing and what they're investing their money in. Um, I do hope this doesn't get forgotten um, around awards time, especially for Delroy Lindo. Like this, this could end up being the win for, uh, for Netflix that they were hoping with the Irishman, right? Um, traditionally movies that come out this early in the year tend to get forgotten when Oscar season comes around. But then again, this is not an ordinary year. 
So, you know, I'm sure we'll be hearing about it. Um, but I, I, I'd imagine like between this and David Fincher's Mank, which they're producing that comes out in October, they're going to spend all the money because they spent lots yeah. of money on their Academy stuff. They'll probably go to both these movies. <laughs> well, so for me, the reason Spike Lee's become suddenly so exciting after Black Klansman is because um, I've been really and this is kind of a, a building off of what I was saying earlier. I've been really interested lately in how he is appears to be thinking about how cinematic images and film history are implicated in systemic oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, he does this w- w- in reference to like Gone with the Wind and, and the, the scene that Abe mentioned with uh, Harry Belafonte is cross cut with a screening of Birth of a Nation. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this to really powerful effect. And it's like this is something that James Baldwin understood really well, too, which is how you cannot underestimate how um, when you have a whole industry, when you have Hollywood, privileging the perspectives and stories of white people, you are by default normalizing the marginalization of black voices or minority voices generally. And for Spike Lee to to be working a critique of the racist structural legacies of the very medium within which he's making his career feels really bold and sort of like an interesting attempt to, like this is an Audre Lorde phrase, but like to dismantle the master's house with the master's own tools. And that, to me, I, I just find it really fascinating and and um, worthy of like exploration. It it shows right what you're saying as far as like how people perceive things when you announce like remakes and you're like we're doing a you know we're changing the genders of the cast or we're changing the color of the main characters or whatnot and people react with scorn as if it's some kind of horrible thing. <laughs> it comes down to yeah because you're like people are trained to feel a certain way about how their things are portrayed. But regardless for this film, yeah, I mean I and for a lot of Spike Lee films as far as how he's going after what i i mean as far as this film in particular what i think it works here is that it's this is a more successful attempt than what he was doing with miracle at saint anna which was you know about the the buffalo soldiers um in in world war ii and that's a film where the ambition's there the effort's there but it just doesn't quite come together that well and here i think he does a better job of really trying to you know find a, a through line that's effective and entertaining like this is a lot of spike lee messing with genre while also yes adding this element of and here here's something to note the screen the original screenplay was written in mind with with white characters going back right. to vietnam it's i was gonna like, i was gonna mention that too yeah for sure so and so when spike and kevin wilmot got involved like they re they recast they rewrote the script to adhere to you know the things that spike lee and kevin wilmot are interested in right and i i, I mean for one thing that I don't know what that original script is, but I imagine it affects the story to the point of here's a very specific perspective, but there's no reason you can't tell a story like this because, yeah, as you guys are both saying, this is very much about the kind of subtraction of black and culture from a lot of the, you know, the narratives surrounding who's fighting these wars for America. And I do think, yeah, you know, with, you know, this movie's going to be around forever, the history to come having Spike Lee and other filmmakers approaching things like this, approaching these kinds of modern stories, when we're going to look back at these things, I like the, I like the thought of people are going to, you know, see movies like this and others that go along with the other films and kind of spread out the understanding we have of the people that are involved in these, these, you know, these wars, these battles, these, this history and what, you know, what that means as far as our perception of how we see things. Yeah. And, and also on top of that, there's just the aspect of, um, I think what makes it fascinating is what we're all saying here is the mixture of live, of real footage mixed with a movie. Um, and yeah, he did that in um, 
Black Planet, and and he's done that uh, yeah, at various other, yeah. yeah, he's like he's done it various other times too. It's not new. It's not just a Spike Lee thing. And if you if you're curious where else this has come up, um, a movie that I love, Moneyball, does this right. It's like, hey, yeah. here's some real footage of things. So it's not like don't think of it as like, well, it's so jarring when you see like Nixon and Lyndon B. Johnson talking. It's like. No, it's a stylistic choice, and it's been done before. And you know, you, you like it just is. It feels different, maybe because the cut is is like it is so in your face. Like the beginning of this movie starts off with like all this Vietnam War, um, the war at home, and also the war abroad. You know, you have all like the college campuses, like Kent State, and and then you have all the presidents speaking, um, and then you get into it. But yeah, I would say that as far as like movie making goes. The way that that Spike Lee is making this is certainly it feels like a Spike Lee trademark, but at the same time, just it is something that is um, it helps you bring in it helps bring context much much more, and I, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it was originally meant for four white guys, mm-hmm. which uh, I mean that's that's very interesting. But I think it's I mean it's such a great film to be viewing and thinking about within our current cultural moment. Yeah. Because it allows us to participate in conversations about how not enough has changed over decades and decades, right? And right. and like that's that's the version that you wouldn't have gotten with four white people and you couldn't have gotten with four white characters. And I mean to think about Black Lives Matter in relation to the civil rights era, you know, by this use of historical footage, by framing the film as it does with footage of Muhammad Ali and Martin Luther King that bookends the film, you do force some degree of reflection about how the immense potential and promise of the civil rights era to enact meaningful social change hasn't been fully fulfilled, not to the mm-hmm. extent that it should have. And so, like, I realize people's mileage might vary when it comes to Lee's, um, Spike Lee's didacticism, but I think the, his his incorporation of historical footage is, like, really powerful. And and one of the things I like that he was doing is that how he changes the aspect ratio of the flashback sequences. Right, to 4-3. Um, yeah. It's an interesting choice because, um, I mean, I... I can only assume why he's done it because i haven't read any interviews to this effect but it does recreate the aesthetic of available historical footage from the actual war and but at the same time it's still shot like a hollywood war film Mm -hmm. you know so i think it kind of blurs the line between the fictitious story that they're telling with this sort of aesthetic of a quasi-historical representation and i think that's a really smart way to go uh for what, what i think he's going for anyway which is to like interlink cinematic representation with actual real historical violence and so these flashbacks and insert shots all have the effect of sort of putting black lives in this continuum Mm -hmm. um so this is not just some you know understanding of a thing that happened in the vietnam era but the flashbacks um they all serve to what create this understanding of our current movement that's not something that is sort of uh it's always it's dynamic and fluid and it reflects uh the wounds of the past and how those wounds translate directly to the wounds of today still right. I, want to, I want to speak to two things before i forget them for one with the with the um the flashbacks and we'll get to that more as far as those and the you know by, by nature that the performances from the various cast members but with the flashbacks i like yeah it has the kind of 16 millimeter academy ratio format but all, there's two there's two different ones too there's the when they're when the guys first arrive in modern vietnam it's 235 and then once they get to the jungle it expands to 185 so i, hmm. I so there's two there's multiple um, aspect ratio choices in here that i think are really effective um to go to pedal back a little bit um speaking to the fact that this movie came out right now yeah that's the thing like 
it's very timely as far as how <laughs> how hard hitting it feels because of the moment we're in right now. But the thing about Spike Lee movies is because all you know, so many of them very much address topics of the time, but they're all generally the same topic it really speaks to what he keeps going after because it's like yeah there's not a lot of things changing here i can continue referencing a lot of the same stuff in different ways and it still matters and that's why i don't really i don't have any problem with his stylistic choice of incorporating either historical footage or just images of certain things um because it it seems like you know the world if not america needs to be kind of hit in the face of some of these things sometimes so he can not just to make his point but to really make it land because guess what it's been over 20 over 20 years over 30 years since do the right thing and what's still a powerful film to watch right now because of nothing having changed so i i really like what he's doing as far as continuing on with his style even if he gets to be more ambitious with how he uses it or more elaborate or creative or what have you well, again, I do want to expand on that, and I do I do want to reemphasize that it's 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 beyond that too, right? It, it everything that's happening right now for sure, mm-hmm. but then that's also just about like what we were just mentioning here. We're gonna get into the characters in a little bit, but the PTSD that comes with it, you know, mm-hmm. and then like the the aggro male versus like going to VA meetings and whatever else. It's like it's so fascinating the way that it wraps into it, and then again you wrap into it with like the the um the sympathetic vietnam like the south uh democratic vietnamese fighters like almost represented by by their guide uh ben vin um yeah yeah and it's like hey this guy is on our side he's gonna fight with this kind of thing and then you also have like hanoi the the radio lady yeah yeah and you know she's got some really interesting things to say too about like i kind of got my wires crossed when i was listening to her but there's, there's which are a lot real, to... which are real, um, real, um, things that she was like, real things that were said. Um, I figured as such, yeah. it was just like redone in like, um, with like an actress. But he, it's... he does the same thing in in Miracle at Saint Anna with an Axis Sally, um, as yeah. far as reading like basically propaganda to kind of to make the black soldiers turn against the white soldiers that they're fighting with. Yeah, but it's very fascinating. Just that, okay, cool. We're we'll gonna we're, we're gonna get our news from this Vietnamese lady who's doing like this like you know pirate radio kind of situation. Uh-huh. Um, while playing Marvin Gaye, um, and then also, yeah, it, it, we're just like in the shit here because what are we doing here? It, it is very upsetting um, when when they like, they mention, which is a true fact, it's like African Americans, Black Americans make up like 11% of the U.S. population, and then in the Vietnam War, they're comprised of like 30% of the soldiers. But it's difficult, you know, because let's get into the characters here because I love the way that they have evolved these characters you know everyone still has like these terrible it's like coming back to like your nightmare and it it echoes so much more for delroy lindo who has so much trauma it's it's like super fascinating to see him like i i love the way they set it up let me let me take a step back i love the way they set up all these guys meeting in a lobby super fun they go through like this like cool little dance line which i love delroy lindo's dance moves in that line and then fucking Jonathan Major shows up and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Because he's like, he looks like a square. He's like wearing a hat with like a, a short sleeve button up shirt and a tie. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, and then it gets really heavy. So I, I'd love to kind of go into the characters here uh, with all of them and how everybody seems like they're doing well, but they're actually not doing well. Um, but what do you guys think? Let's get to Delroy Lindo last. I think there's the most to say about him, but I, I do think there's... Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, great performances here. And I, you know, I, I I really like Clark Peters in this movie. I think he does a pretty terrific job as Otis, the medic. Right. Um, you, you might have mostly remembered it from The Wire. From The Wire, yeah. 
Yeah, I kept wanting to yell at him to like go back and make his fucking miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I, I, I think there, there's a, you know, there's a mini arc there. He, he and Delroy Lindo like have like the most to do, I guess, as far as care. And I guess, uh, David, Jonathan Majors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 I like the kind of balance he's trying to bring to this group. I do like that. There's, you know, there's a number of different personality types and they're, you know, they know how to hang out together, but they also know how to clash. And I think, I think Clark Peters does a, you know, a good job as far as rounding out things as well as Isaiah Whitlock Jr. who's more of like the Joker of the, of the crew, but there's something about how honest he also is as far as he's the most himself compared to the other ones who all seem to have certain things they're either holding back or, you know, not delving into as deep as they could, where he's just kind of the, you know, he's saying what's on his mind. He's having fun with it. Um, yeah, I don't want to say that Norm Lewis is bad, but I do think he's the weaker link of the four uh, that are here. Uh, there's a big scene involving him, which feels a bit more stagey than maybe it would have. Uh, I don't know if that's partly because he's more of a theatrically trained actor or just the way it's filmed or what have you. But there, you know, there's one major moment involving what, hap- what goes on with him uh, that I, I, I think it just doesn't quite work as well as it could have. Um, when you say so, you mean the actor Norm, not Chadwick Boseman, who plays a character named No, Norm. not Norman. No, right. yeah, Norm Lewis yeah, yeah, as yeah. Eddie. Yeah, Norm Lewis right. as Eddie. Right, right. Yeah. I'll get to Boseman in a second too. But yeah, I think I, I want to say about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the on the acting here and the characters, uh, Mike. Uh, I thought it was great. Like, uh, you know, Delroy Lindo is the standout, not just in terms of his performance so much as I mean they give him a lot of narrative um, weight, and he gets a lot of uh, very showy scenes on his own, but in terms of the group dynamic, I thought it was pretty great. I mean, in the beginning, when they're genuinely glad to be seeing each other after who knows how many years, um, the camaraderie and the the bickering, but like the friendly bickering, <clears throat> mm-hmm. all that was just really, they all bounce off each other really well, I thought. Um, and I almost appreciated the scenes. Obviously, you know, the, the, the intensity of certain scenes and the kind of moral and historical stakes that that overshadow all of it it is very um serious and severe but some of the lighter moments it's not comedic but i i found the lighter moments really refreshing and fun and and um you know i i I was wondering whether they were going to get to um if whitlock was going to do a wire reference and at one point he naturally goes shit and i thought you know yes check the level of tension <laughs> there was for me waiting for him to do that as he's done in other Spike Lee movies was just, I'm like, when is this going to happen? And it arrives yeah. at the perfect moment. It, 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 it arrives late, too. Yeah. It does, but it, like yeah. it's like when it happens, it's like, yes, that was the perfect well, time to do I, it. I was also thinking like, oh, maybe he's not going to do it in this one. It's like, oh, he, there he goes. Yeah, for me, I mean, the, the only, the, sorry, I don't remember their names, but uh, n- not actor Norm, but character Eddie. So Eddie. Yeah. And Eddie and Otis um, don't have as much development as uh, the medic. Wait. No, medic's I Otis. Think you mean Melvin. Medic is Otis. Mel- Melvin. Melvin. Okay. So I really appreciated that sort of one of the characters has a, a deeper, more personal connection to Vietnam because he has an old mistress, uh, if you can call it that. <clears throat> and he finds out some, some stuff about that relationship too, right? And so... So that relationship is fraught because there's a question of whether we can trust this woman because she's involved in the transaction of fencing the gold, basically. And so there were additional stakes that are arguably more sort of thriller oriented, you know, action, backstabbing, that kind of thing that uh, only work if you believe in the inherent humanity 
of the characters. And I think the actors really bring that together. Yeah. So, so I think, I think it works great. Um, I think, I think, you know, we're going to get to Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman in a minute, but I, I think he's no, talk the, about talk about yeah. it now. Oh, okay. Well, I think, first of all, it's great casting because I believe that too. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, for one thing, he's black Panther, right? And he, I mean, he played James Brown and Jackie Robinson. And so he's already this kind of like what larger than life presence in the film. That being said, I felt, I mean, he's got a natural uh, screen charisma for sure, but I felt the film draws too much on Bozeman's larger persona that cuts across multiple films. And it doesn't do enough within the actual narrative to explain what makes him such a noble leader um, and why exactly all the other men revere him so much. And we kind of have to take that as a given. And I felt that was actually kind of underdeveloped and maybe a, not a misuse, but a, missed opportunity to uh develop that character just just you know just a just a just a wink more i'll say like i'm happy to welcome more chadwick boseman into a film because i really like chadwick boseman but i do think as you're mentioning he's hollywood's he's hollywood's symbol of black pride right now and i i i I think spike lee is very much tapping into that on purpose and the way he's utilized in flashbacks i think really works because it's all from these guys' perspective, their memory, where it's less about, like, exploring who this man is outside of being the perfect soldier that he's represented as, and more just the idealized version of what these guys remember him being, specifically Delroy Lindo, since they have, there's the deepest relationship comes from that friendship, as we kind of learn more about throughout the film. But I, I, I don't disagree as far as, yeah, there's a way to probably explore that more to a degree, but at the same time, I, I still really enjoyed what, Spike Lee was able to kind of do with this character and kind of the the final time that we see him, I, I thought was a good a big gut punch to kind of what we've you know known up to that point. So I, I just I found it to be quite effective. I mean, you talk about the cinematography, though, like some of the best cinematography at that point, too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the I, I, I found the scene, his final embrace with the Delroy Lindo character without giving anything really away. Um, was the one scene that I was genuinely moved by. I thought that was incredibly powerful stuff. That being said, I I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I feel like just even because Spike Lee is working within the Vietnam genre and in a way he's kind of dismantling it um, as a set of cinematic tropes, uh, you do tend to get these characters who are like the charismatic platoon leader, right? Whether it's like Sergeant Elias or whatever it is. And I feel like, Given that he's working within the tropes of the genre to some extent, the the film did seem to be missing one moment in which we we understand that he's like the greatest soldier ever, but we don't see him doing any like great soldiering really um, that stands apart from the narrative. So I never quite felt like I I understood why they. Uh, I mean, I, like so they're like the shootouts they get it and stuff. He's like running through the running in the wide open and taking headshots or what have you, and he's teaching them civil rights history. Like I think there's there's a without overwhelming the film with look how amazing this guy is. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that would overwhelm the narrative, honestly. I think that'd be like too much if you overplayed just how great he is as a soldier. I do think there's enough there to like suggest that he really seems to know what he's doing as the squad leader. Yeah, I yeah. think there's enough, but I wouldn't have m- minded like another 60 seconds. Okay, <laughs> I, what, I you, what do you say? Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, I was going to say like, I hear you, uh, Mike, but I, I'm, also on, I'm also on the same page of, I think that it, it's, Sufficient. I, I think sometimes, to some degree, it's almost more than sufficient as well for you to get the background history of um, Chadwick Boseman's character, Storm and Norman. Uh, you know, right when you see him on the screen, it's like, yeah, of course, uh, he's he's like the leader of the group. <laughs> and I'm, 
I'm pretty certain that he's a good leader. And, and they give him some backstory. It's like, well, he's the first black squad leader, uh, you know, assigned in Vietnam. And then he goes out and helps him out in this firefight. But then beyond that, I think that what really makes it great is um, there is that scene that Aaron's talking about with teaching them black history and whatever else. But then they hear about the assassination of Martin Luther King. And then he takes a firm be we have to be the masses of our own anger kind of thing um followed by them doing like a jarhead scene where they just like fire their weapons as as anger and relief um but i think that there's like enough there i think the other thing that i really like about the chadwick boseman stuff is that i didn't know when it was gonna happen <laughs> like mm-hmm. like there's some parts where Daryl Orlando is speaking in monologue slash soliloquy like i it could it could be artistically seen as soliloquy but i was like i wonder if they're gonna like reverse shot this and show that he's talking to chadwick boseman as like you know uh an old figure from the 70s but they they didn't do that i mean they do later maybe but um not not specifically the way that i was thinking about it so i like the way that they employed chadwick boseman's use here i'd also like to say that um you talked about all the tropes of war and whatever else, and Spike Lee's kind of putting his own spin on it. I love that it's like four, five black soldiers going into war in a helicopter with Red of the Valkyries playing. Oh yeah. Um, and I was well, like, this they, is they, hilarious. They do, they do that in the ju- they do it in the boat. They don't do they do they do Valkyries when they're going up in the boat for the first time. Uh-uh. They don't do it in the helicopter. Not in the helicopter. Yeah, but they, but still, they like, still play it. They still reference the apocalypse now that way. Yeah, and I was like, this is fantastic, you know. So, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, I, no, I it, it seems stuff. yeah, it seems very much in line with like Spike Lee's sort of dismantling of the genre that because the yeah. the ride of the Valkyries scene is like truly epic and and. Mm-hmm incredible to watch right but then to reduce that to just this rinky dink little boat going down a small river where it could like barely fit around the corners that seemed to be kind of a it seemed a little cheeky mm-hmm. if, if you want to give props to spike lee and music choices the fact that he doesn't use uh creedence clearwater revival a track from them in a, in a vietnam movie is impressive yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's one of the, the only vietnam movies i can think of where you don't hear a ccr song at some point in the movie right. like even spielberg's um the post has ccr playing it so right. it's it's always there and here you, you don't get one you get yeah. the chamber brothers i don't mind that at all um can i can well, i say one more thing yeah, about the chadwick uh bozeman i think yeah, yeah. um and it's not so much about him but i think the his presence in the film is super interesting to me because I think one really close analog to this film is actually Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in any way to like reduce Bozeman's uh, pretty great career to just like uh-huh. Black Panther, right? But it is his biggest thing. And that movie is so fascinating because it explores the relationship between, uh, you know, underneath all the sort of superhero tropes, it explores the relationship between blackness and capitalism in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Black Panther is the central question of Black Panther is if you are a successful and wealthy black man or black person, what obligations do you have to direct those resources back into your community? So in other words, if you find success within the economic system that was in large part created through the systematic oppression of your people historically, are you obliged to turn that around and help those who are less fortunate than you and who are still disproportionately impacted by the legacies of that evil system, right? And then you have the villain, um, the Michael B. Jordan character, represents a different approach, right? Which is that when you attain that wealth, you use it to take the power back. 
And that's a really provocative set of questions to be asking, especially in a fucking Marvel movie, right? And so I think the same questions are very much alive here in terms of the questions of reparations and things. And the uh, Hanoi Hannah uh, is doing broadcasts where she says, you know, mm -hmm. why lay your life down? Why lay your life on the line for a government that is always oppressing you? And what compensation are you owed for those like added indignities? You know, and so that that linkage to me is is part of what makes the film just uh, uh, sort of above average powerful. This brings mm -hmm. us to Del Rey Lindo, I think, in his performance, and it's part of what I like, really like about Spike Lee as a filmmaker. He's not afraid to tackle both sides. I mentioned we mentioned uh, Get the Right get, get on the Bus earlier, and that's a film that has many people on a bus on their way to the Million Man March, and you don't have just a bunch of black people that all agree with each other. You have varying uh, various disagreements among them as far as the kind of beliefs they have. You have you have um, most mostly liberals on the bus, but there's some black conserv uh, conservatives and what have you and so putting that in this film you have Delroy Lindo as a, a man who's stricken with PTSD but is also a Trump supporter uh, right. and the, the film makes big note of that by having him wear a MAGA hat throughout most of the film um, it, and it also gets some jokes in about Trump early on and thankfully it kind of dies dials those down because I think it just <laughs> it'd be going overboard too much but I, I while pointing it out and having fun with that which I can always appreciate. I, I'm also happy it didn't rely on just the fact that he voted for Trump as a punchline, but instead it informs who this character is and goes much, much deeper than that, because there's always much more deeper to go. Um, and you have that set against uh, someone like Eddie, who I believe is like a libertarian, and the other two who have different ideas of what they want to do with this gold, right? Eddie wants to, you know, he he wants to honor what what Norman thought and like give it back to the people. Uh, I believe uh, um, Otis feels like similar, uh, and and Melvin has his own ideas of what he wants to do. Lindo wants to keep it. He wants his share. He wants to keep his. He wants to get his, as he says. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that, I mean, as we get into kind of Dora Lindo's performance, which we already spoken about as far as being you know masterful and what have you, and yes, like if you mentioned, he gives these wonderful like soliloquies in the in the fort in the jungle and whatnot. It you get such a great picture of who this man is as far as all the complications going on in his life. So things that would lead him astray and think that he's kind of on his own. And this is why he would like be, you know, be supportive in that arena as opposed to something more traditional for a black character uh, or a black person. Uh, and it, it, there's, there's just so much going on here. You get this, you know, the kind of the contrast he has against his son where he can be incredibly angry with him at times, or he can be supportive of him. He, you know, he can hang around with the other, you know, the other blood, quite easily or he could rail against things as far as what they're going for or what you know he believes in himself and storm off there there's just a lot there and it's all handled with so much like wonderful nuance i think that Rolando, he's a fabulous actor and he's been he was great in the previous three spike lee films he was he was in uh, malcolm x um crooklyn not he got game he was in malcolm x crooklyn and um and clockers uh mm -hmm. and then this is his first fun since then and i'm very happy to welcome him back here because he's an added value to the cast and he does such yeah. a great job in this movie yeah he really does and you know you mentioned his complexity and again i like to view it from just the standpoint of and this vietnam war fucked up a lot of a lot of lives uh -huh. and, and we're specifically looking at these five folks right here right now some of them have adjusted better than others but just to have dora lindo go back to this nightmare landscape uh, where people are calling him you know, a killer for killing their parents or grandparents or what have you. And then he just trips super hard on the PTSD. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, the performance that he also gives is I agree with you on the nuance because he, he has to like play 
It's very strange because he's a supportive person, but then he he also is like can turn on a on a dime, and because of that, you just never really know what to expect. So that's why there's like these great moments of tension, and there is like some weird, strange tension relief. But when he's going full out, just stressed out, Delroy Lindo, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, like it, there's a lot of examples of it. But the one where it it really made me sad was um, when he goes off on his own toward the end and he's just shouting at himself. Mm. Um, And I was like, this guy needs some help. Like, he really needs some help. And like Otis is is like, hey, man, when we get back to like I love how they call it. um, What do they what do they call the real world or something? What do they what's the the phrase that they use? I forget what they use, but it's very. yeah. Yeah, it's very fascinating just to hear them say like, well, we're in this. You know, we're in Vietnam, but it's not like the real world. Let's just say that the, that's the phrase that they use. And I I find that very fascinating, too. I'm just like, let's when we get back to the real world, we're, you should go to a meeting with me. It's like, what is this? Is this not the real world for you guys? Like, you know, so it, but in any case, um, Lindo is just giving it a lot because he has so much to, to do. Like, he's the character that we you have to, like, love and hate him because he's protagonist and antagonist he's like good father bad father and i i don't know i mean like the fucked up thing about it is like it's affected him his whole entire life and it affected him with his relationship with his son it's so weird because you mentioned the maga thing and um, uh, what i found interesting about that is you know they have like this quick scene about what um, uh, the immigration stuff that they talk about um and then his son has gone to a historically black college. You know what I mean? He goes to, to Morehouse. Um, and so it's, it's like there's just all these diametrically opposed opposites in his life the entire time, including his relationship with Chadwick Boseman. So his character is like definitely the one that's been centered on and written out the most, flushed out the most. Yeah, I I second, um, I guess I third everything you're saying. I, I really do hope this leads to um, some award recognition from uh, for him he's been such a solid actor for so yeah. long you know i think the career thing would help in that area too <clears throat> yeah absolutely but um i don't have anything to add i mean I, you guys are given really great sort of breakdowns of how nuanced and complicated his character is i, I just want to additionally note that there's such a sharp irony in the fact that his character is a trump supporter mm-hmm. because like the dynamic is that he's a vietnam vet who supports trump even while that's the same war that trump used his wealth and privilege to avoid serving in they call him president bone spurs too. yeah so and it's, so, i think it's like on the, like the name marquee that shows up yeah, yeah, yeah. They show a clip and they show the president. arrow pointing to the black man smiling at one of his rallies yeah <laughs> yeah with the with so, the eyes like redacted yeah so spike lee is like trolling a bit when he has del Rolindo say things like you know build the wall or fake news fake news because yeah. like that's the kind of sloganeering that lee obviously believes is like fascist bullshit right mm-hmm. but it's like an additional function that it serves for me anyway is it's it's a useful reminder that black lives are not monolithic right mm-hmm. so even though i mean just the polling percentages are pretty uniformly anti-trump like there are differences of of opinion out there and and black opinion black politics are not um summed up quite so easily uh real quick because i don't want to forget this did you guys the the flashback sequences have chadwick boseman obviously He's the age that he is, while these guys are, you know, significantly older. There's no difference between them. Spike Lee did not get $100 million solely for the use of de-aging technology. He just has the actors playing themselves in both eras. Did that bother you guys in any way? I, I will nope. say it did not bother me for me whatsoever. Yeah. No, it was, no, I, 
No. It was jarring in the beginning because, I mean, they make no effort to make them look younger, even though there's like, I guess, like a 50 year gap or maybe more. So, uh, no, it didn't, it didn't bother me once I realized that they just weren't going to go with it. And you just kind of have to go with the logic of the film. But yeah. it did make me wonder whether there may have been conversations about casting younger actors or even using the de-aging effects. I'm glad they didn't. Right. Since. But since I that agree, method is yeah. available, I'd be curious I, to know. If I just thought that it was like a really cool choice for him to make. To just be like, hey, you guys are going to remember things the way that you guys are now. And you guys yeah. are in your 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this Chadwick Boseman's there because he's there. You know, he, he's like your commanding officer back when he was like 26 when you guys like last saw him or whatever. Because yeah. um, he never aged. Yeah, because yeah, he never aged. So, bang, there you go. You know, and, and they, I was like, this is really clever. Yeah, you could say they never left the war, which is why they yeah. just continue looking the way they do. I think there's, yeah, there's a, beyond the budgetary limits, that might have been a problem um, as far as, again, Spike Lee's not getting $100 million here or, you know, adding four more actors also costs money. <laughs> like there's no, that's, a, that's another factor as well. Um, but I do think, I think he does justify it as far as like what you're saying, Abe, as far as these guys did grow out of the war and they aged and now they're looking back on it through their perspective and that's how they're seeing it. So I think it, yeah. I, for one thing, I'm happy all of us kind of agree in that area because I've seen some complaints in various reviews as far as like the whether or not that works. I just I had no problem with it. I, I was well, le, I was less jarred by it and more just curious like, okay, we're going to flashbacks. Are they going to look different? And they didn't. I'm like, okay, let's, I'll go with that. Let's see what yeah, that goes. I was like, I dug it. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the other thing that I thought about during the movie is if you had younger character or younger actors playing these folks, you'd have to like get like the mannerisms right and whatever else, and it just it just adds like to this. It adds like to a whole entire level of like, well, I, I like the young guy who played Del Rolindo. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. just like it's Del Rolindo. It's his character. You know what it's I mean? It's also yeah, it's just too much to keep track of as exactly. well. Exactly. Characters. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Speaking speaking of characters, there are there is a subplot uh, featuring more characters, well, including um, Melanie Thierry, Paul Walter Hauser of Richard Jewell fame, and Jasper Pacoman. Uh, the latter two were both in Black Klansmen as hateful right. Klansmen. Um, what did you guys think of this area of the film? They play people that are basically working for a charity to defuse landmines in Vietnam. How do you think that it, do you think that added to the story or? I thought she was a pretty weak character because I wasn't quite sure what she brought to the story. Um, I mean, there's a, uh, there's an absurd moment late in the film when she offers to um, mediate the talks between the Jean Renault character, who's a villain because mm-hmm. she thinks she can appeal to him in French. But like, we already know he speaks perfect English. And so I'm not sure what the point of any of that was other than to like put her in the line of fire. And so I, I do think the inclusion of French characters is important to the Vietnamese, to the Vietnamese setting and the Vietnamese experience. Right? She and, speaks and, to that too. She has a backstory where she just feels a little yeah, yeah, of yeah. guilt. Yeah. So. Right. But so given the local history and I, uh, Abe mentioned the question of sort of the violence that was brought upon Vietnam as well. There's a really interesting scene where some of the, I guess, mercenaries or something are arguing at Del Rolindo about, no, no, these these are our reparations that we're entitled to this to this gold. And the Vietnamese character says, well, so are we right. because of what we've experienced. Right. And so it, it it does serve to point out that black lives are not the only ones that have been oppressed by the American government. And other historical um, um, imperial evils that extend beyond the United States, and right. so that intersectionality is really important. Um, but beyond that, I don't think the movie really knows what to do with her and that character. Like, is she a love interest, or isn't she? Is she going to have some kind of reckoning with her own white privilege, or isn't she? And uh, we don't really explore these directions, not to my satisfaction, anyway. 
As far as it goes, I, I think that, you know, them working for an NGO is totally fine, but it, it is like a plot point because what they do is heavily going to be a part of the film later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just serves as like, oh, cool. Well, don't forget. And so there are points where um, where uh, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is like using some tools. And I was like, I'm kind of like squeaming in my chair because I was like, I know what might be happening here, but I don't know if it's going to happen now. Um, so that's, that's where it serves. But like what you mentioned, Aaron, her backstory is more, is more interesting, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. by the way, I'm doing this because of white guilt. Um, we've made money off the backs of the Vietnamese and we're not Americans, we're Europeans, but we still did it. And like what you said, you know, Jean Renault is in this movie too, Mike, the French colonialism took over Vietnam for quite a while. They have very good, like French uh, culinary skills because of this right and my parents speak french because of the colonialization Interesting. but um the inter- intersectionality is all there and and I, do, and I do love the scene that you brought up because uh the atrocities that happened at me lies so like yep this is terrible and spike lee does not shy away from it at all um and so just to have them there is Interesting because I there are groups that do this, right? The UN is is very much aware that they're still like un unblasted by, and so having this these three as like this you know European NGO is totally great. Um, but they do serve a small purpose, and then as the story progresses, it's just you know it's just more of the the horrors that came out of Vietnam, and I, I do I do like that that was addressed. I, I like all that you just said, Abe. I, I agree with a lot with what, what you just said there. And I will I will add the other element that I think they add to being involved in this film is you get an outside perspective of Delroy Lindo by having them. I think instead beyond just having his son and his three you know uh, compatriots, you you have these three characters that don't know this man. They don't know and they don't know what he's capable of, you know where things can go by you know having them in the mix and. While we're out, you know, as an audience, we're an outside presence of who this man is. I do think by having them there, it allows Delroy Lindo to take certain actions that, you know, further expand on what he's going through and how he would react to certain things, which otherwise wouldn't be there if they weren't a part of the story. I don't disagree that there's more you maybe could have done to flesh them out, but that's also a matter of this is a two and a half hour movie already. (laughs) Like how much yeah, it's a long movie. I, yeah. I remember, like, at one point when they start finding some gold, I was like, I wonder if this is, like, the end of the movie. And I had to go use the restroom, so I had to pause. And I was like, oh, I'm not even, like, halfway through the movie. <laughs> I want to talk about that, but, Mike, did you have something you want to say? Oh, no, I I, um, I guess I'm sort of in between you guys. In terms of, uh, you know, the kind of very uh, standard issues of, like, character development and narrative and things like that, I found the the French characters lacking, as I, as I articulated a minute ago. But the purpose they serve, which is to bring sort of an additional subplot focus on the the atrocities that happened in vietnam and the kind of devastation that they suffered as well is um is important right and and i'm glad the film even if it doesn't sort of put it front and center it definitely does focus on it and i i found some of the more shocking imagery was the incorporation of um historical footage Mm -hmm. uh particularly of moments that uh i think we all I mean, I don't want to make assumptions, but that we all tend to associate as being still images mm-hmm. that were actually video fo- uh, yeah, uh, filmed, point. right? So like yeah. the some of the really iconic, um, horrifying images of the war include the execution of that one um, uh, Viet Cong soldier in the public street. And that yeah. was actually caught on video. We get to see the whole video and like the blood splurting out. That's yeah. that's incredibly rare. 
Yep. And then like the napalm girl, if you're familiar yeah. with the, the yep. girl who got burned. Yeah, she yeah. I, di- I didn't realize there was video footage of that either. I didn't realize there was video of that either. So that's a that's an excellent point that I also I also observed that and I was like, oh wow, I didn't I'd seen the photos. You've definitely seen the photo of the of the general killing that the other soldier in the street handcuffed. And you've definitely seen the photo of the napalm girl, but I didn't know that there was video there. And, and in yeah. color no less too. Like I don't think yeah. we emphasize enough that, you know, we've had color for a while. And I think by using black and white, it's trying it's basically a way for especially in America to yeah. kind of suppress how close this stuff is. Like looking so, something right. like like having Martin Luther King involved. You when you think of Martin Luther King, a lot of think I'll, I I would wager to bet most people think of him in black and white imagery as if civil rights movement happened a long time ago. That's not the case. And seeing color footage of the man speaking, that said, that I think that's it's already powerful because of his words, but just the imagery alone, I again I got I got very emotional through this movie. And I yeah. think the, the last ten minutes of it particularly really put me over the top because there's a lot of just stuff that spike knows how to do to hit you the right way that doesn't feel like a cheat it doesn't feel shoved in it feels appropriate to the film that he's told right i mean it's it's also consistent with what he's doing throughout right the uh insert shots of like the boston massacre and stuff that obviously has to be uh based in drawings but it's all part of a piece right and so that that consistency of thinking about historical images and and how it forces one thinking about one way or another i think is just kind of smart and and super effective yeah i mean like you know not to get too much into like what we were talking about last week too but you know like ruby bridges is like my mom's age she's like 70 something mm-hmm. this is the girl that had to be escorted to school with like the national guard you know what i mean yeah. like we think about we think about that as like old uh-huh. she's 70 something years old yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> she's a young lady <laughs> to some degree you know what I mean? It's crazy. And, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in, what, 1968? Mm-hmm. The Beatles were popular then, and they were, like, ready to go into their breakup. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, of course, there's color footage. The thing that I kind of was bummed out about is, like, they didn't use the color footage of the assassination in Memphis. Um, they used the black and white photo, which is, you know, it's your own choice. But still, um, if you look at the color photo, uh, it's unfortunate because Martin Luther King Jr. is just in a pool of blood. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, but I do want to say that going back to like the scene where we talked about like where they're making a deal with like the Vietnamese and the Vietnamese saying, Hey, this gold is just as much as ours as it is yours. What I love about that too, if you want, if you want to read more into like the politics of it, Dover Lindo is super gung ho right wing, right? He's like, it says United States. Mm-hmm. Whereas Otis is like, Hey man, let's make a deal. You go your way. We'll go our way. <laughs> like, you know, it's fine. We just want to survive. And so it's very like. Um, their politics comes into play again at, at, throughout the movie. To um to back up a bit, um as far as finding the gold goes and how you said you were sure you weren't sure how far much how much more there was in the movie. That's something I really like about the film, and I'll I'll pepper this by saying, uh, pre- prepare this by saying if we get into mild spoilers here, um uh, just you know be aware of that and you can watch the movie. It's available on Netflix right now, but I don't I think. By the conversation we're having, we're not going to go too far into too much detail. But I like that once they find the gold, yeah, that's like a little more than an hour in, and there's still a lot of movie to go. But it also means I don't really know where it's going. Like, they find right. gold, they find Norman's body, and then what? Yes, there are conventional things that take place. The movie shapes more into an action caper film at that point. But I don't mind that, mainly because I got to this certain point, and now I'm 
not entirely sure what the fallout's going to be. And I like that there's a sense of surprise there. I, I like that the characters have real discussions about what to do next and how to handle the situation they're in. It's not just a, hey, we found it, now we can go back home again. There's complications that feel authentic to the scenario they're in, even if it is in kind of a genre-type setting. Yeah, and I, you get the sense that Spike Lee himself is more interested, he's not interested in the the heist movie uh-huh. tropes of this so much as the implications and the 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 kind of larger conversations that the the seeking out the discovery and the relocating of the gold the the bigger conversations that that provokes that's what he's interested in which is why he seems disinterested in the logistics of like how are we going to carry these things out of here and also the the manner in which they stumble upon the gold uh-huh. is treated very comically right it's, yes it's yeah. it's, it's it's like nakedly absurd and so the gold is it's a MacGuffin, really it's just it there is. to to provoke conversations about other things and these are the, like he knows it like spike lee's not dumb like he knows what he's doing when you have a character the way they discover the gold and like the reaction to it which involves some dancing it's not as though he's like oh this is an idea he's clearly like doing something here as far as like yeah, having no, it be not, it, over yeah, the it, top like, in their, it's in not it's not it's not lazy screenwriting right he yeah. knows what he's doing yeah, yeah. yeah it's also like sometimes spike lee i find this in his it's also very on the nose you know yeah I mean? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember what Jonathan Major says before he finds the gold? I'm going to go to the bank to make a deposit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's his euphemism to go poop, because he's going to go poop. And then he finds some gold. Yeah. I... <laughs> Which is a solid, it's a solid euphemism. It's a, it's a solid <laughs> it's joke. It's funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's very on the nose. He knows what he's doing. So. Uh, what else? How... Without going too far into kind of the results of things, how'd you like how things play out for the individual f- five bloods here? As far as the kind of things take place that are of consequence, did, did you did you feel for things that were taking place? They all came full circle, and like in, in some in more tragic ways than others. But you know, people joked about Isaiah Whitlock Jr.'s character being like like you know he he wouldn't take a bullet for his comrades in Vietnam kind of thing. And then, you know, um, uh, Norm Lewis's character, Eddie, he's like, oh, you're just like a cheapskate. Um, but it's like, no, he's got real problems too that, you know, ultimately somewhat get resolved. Um, and Clark Peters, his character is just like, I have unfinished business in Vietnam. And he finishes that business with like a really cool, like, you know, Spike Lee loves like the the moving Oh yeah, the, the the double the double dolly shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Delroy Lindo's character again, we we talked about him. He has the most to to uh, atone for, but also to to uh, to um, figure out. You know, we we've talked about and you've talked about how there's some wonderful cinematography in this movie, and especially in the jungles. But the kind of the final scene involving Delroy Lindo and what he's saying and where the camera is and how it's framed. I really love that. I thought that was which, really which fantastic. Part? The the there's a big basically monologue he's given that's kind of juxtaposed of all the other things taking place. Um, it's it's a letter being read and he's oh, okay, okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. it's it's such a quiet and intimate scene based off you know what the scenario it's in. But I really liked how that was put together. Yeah, um, much more effective than if they'd done a voiceover, for instance, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it the the denouement or is really where you start to see Spike Lee's. Um, I mean, his mm-hmm. obviously his voice is is rich throughout the film, but at the end you do not resolve, but you see him taking a side in this um, dynamic that he's been portraying as really complex and uh, conflicted with each other about 
what to do with the money, right? Do you redirect it into the community or do you keep it for yourself? And you have the characters sort of bickering all the way through about what, you know, I want to get mine or like, no, no, the, the, you know, we have to use this for good, the greater good, so to speak. <clears throat> and he clearly has an opinion about this, right? That, that the, the thing to do is to just kind of use the resources, use the wealth to mend bonds and it doesn't have to be sort of, no, uh, uh, sign a check and, and give it over to Black Lives Matter, which is something that does happen. But also, even if you're not doing that, use your, your new position of, of power, let's call it, to uh, mend the broken bonds between family and between right. your community, right? Even on a, uh, a deeply personal and existential level, as a, uh, uh, in addition to the larger societal level. Because uh, even Delroy Lindo's sort of quote-unquote redemption at the end is sort of a reaching out. Mm-hmm. And um, recognition of how uh, his his sort of but I don't want to call it egocentric, but his his focus on himself and his own traumas and his own historical memory has come at the expense of an opportunity to bond with the people closest to him, right? And and the right. apology that comes with that. Now that's that's uh, that seems to be where Spike Lee lands on this issue. He's yeah. also he's also aware of it. Uh, he's aware, he's aware of it enough to have something prepared based off what could happen. Mm, it's, right. It turns him into he doesn't become the anti-hero in the way that Humphrey Bogart is in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. There's no redemption for him. It's just he succumbed to gold madness in that movie. Here, there is something to kind of go along with and deepen. The, and that doesn't take away from what Humphrey Bogart's doing. That's a magnificent. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> but it's um, it, it does you know it gives a different layer to what we're going through with uh, with Paul's character here, and I think yeah. that really works. I'd also yeah. just want to add there quickly. Um, you know, you mentioned about giving, paying it forward kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It does, doesn't happen with the characters, too. It happens with, like, the side characters, you know, with Hedy yeah. Simon. Um, you know, they they are part of this plot now, too. And then what they do with it is something that you uh, – it's a, it's a good gesture, but it's also just like, hey, you know, we understand that I, – I, Spike Lee is basically saying you cannot be selfish in these situations. I understand that it was an unjust war. And it wasn't good for either of us, meaning the Vietnamese or the Americans. But this is not how we mend. You know what I mean? Like we we don't you don't become selfish in the end. And they even have like a photo with Seppo. Yeah, that could really serve as like a real photo. It's a that hit me harder than I expected it I, to because it's like we barely this is like the of the least of the three that we know, and somehow it's like that image is like, like perfect. No, but I was reminded like because when I saw that photo, I was reminded of like all these um, journalists like James, I forget his name, but he was killed in the in the yeah. Afghan war. Yeah, I was yeah. like, these are the photos that, that they would take. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's when having a budget helps. <laughs> like when you give Spike money, he knows what he can do with it. Um, the last thing I have in my notes here is just the music because we didn't mention that at all so far. But I think Terrence Blanchard's score, um, I, it's familiar in the way that Spike Lee uses Terrence Blanchard's music for his movies, but I think it's effective. And the use of Marvin Gaye's song specifically from his album, What's Going On, wonderfully used throughout this movie, I think. Sure, yeah. I have one utterly unrelated question, uh-huh. which is... To my knowledge, this is the first time I've ever seen a sequence in which somebody is um, yanked off of a landmine and and stumbles out of it without Relatively a scratch, unscathed. like completely unscathed, I would say. And I'm just wondering, it's questioning the physics of it. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you take 13 steps instead of 15. Yep. <laughs> is that, is that no, a thing I, I think for that it was... anti-mine ordinance? I just never... 
I mean, no, I, I don't know how it worked out. I'm, I mean, I've kind of just when I saw it, I was just like, it was just a uh, a Pulp Fiction moment. I'm just like, yeah, this is a miracle. Well, it's in, it's incredibly <laughs> tense. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm well, in the moment well, as far no, as the so... it's, as far as the realism of the scene. I mean. <clears throat> It's a mix of I'm sure there's the research done to see like how can we plausibly film this as well as the it's an action movie at this point we gotta have to go along with whatever result is. I guess my question had more to do with like okay is this a really a thing or is this stupid? And no, if, I, I think that it, it was. And well, stupid. if it's stupid, if it's stupid, is that on purpose? Given like the kind of subtle satire of certain uh, other I don't, I don't think it's going for any kind of yeah. I don't think it's going for anything else that it's showing on screen at I just moment. figured that it was a miracle <laughs> I, I mean yeah that's really what I think it comes that's down really, to that that's really because like it, you know I, what, if you want to if you want to go into it I think it goes more I think it speaks more to it's less about the fact that there's an explosion involved possibly you know involved and more about what are the two characters doing right now and it's really about the father and son dynamic and how that it, and it's about trust I think that's more. I think that that's the idea of that scene is to overweigh the, you know, the possibly sure. de- the possibly deadly results with the fact that it's about these two guys coming to trust each other in this moment, and that's what's going to pull them through it. No, you're right. Before it was, it was the the deadly results, not the deadly results. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I, I would I would say that um, if you wanted to read more into it, um, if Norman is there with them watching and overseeing this mission, Jonathan oh. Majors isn't part of it. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So it's just like, no, you're you're fine. Like I, I have other beef with other people. You're not part of it. You know what I mean? So I like that reading too. That's good. Um, I but am no, out it, of... it is a it is a ridiculous scene. <laughs> <laughs> I am out of notes, guys. Is there anything else to say on the Five Bloods? No, my again, my final thoughts are just that um, the circle weaving of it. What I what I appreciated the most is that it doesn't just. It's not an American. It's not a completely American side of it. Like we talked about, there's like the French side, there's the Vietnamese, North and South, um, people who haven't forgotten all the repercussions that happened after, which is like the reparations for Black lives that were never met, um, and then also the Vietnamese lives that were never met. And then honestly, there's just a lot of um, like even the way that the movie ends isn't so much like a. I think he shows like the plaque and then he shows he shows like the Vietnam more memorial as the letters being read. But it wasn't one of those like thank you to all the soldiers, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a Rambo type thing where it's like, if you need help, call this number. It's more just like this is a contained story within these and you know what? Black soldiers got fucked over in this war too. Yeah, it's not about nationalism. Like it's yeah. it's not it's not spitting in the face in any way, but it is no, not at a all. very specific, not at all. specific perspective on things and that's the that's the goal of the film to begin with. Right. Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just you know want to reiterate, <clears throat> and we've covered this sufficiently, but just how how importantly topical this is, right? Because it's not about a group of older men who are revisiting traumas that are located 40 or 50 years ago. It mm-hmm. it is about that, but it's about how those wounds are reflective of larger societal dynamics that very very unfortunately continue to this day, right? And so Spike Lee uh, achieves that in some subtle ways, some not so subtle ways, like sort of inserting president bone spurs, that kind of thing shows <clears throat> how uh, he's making the connections really overt and, and unignorable. But at the same time, it, it's such a complex work in terms of really thinking about legacy and structural inequity and indignity 
as a continuum, right? Not just something that was then or something that's like suddenly new now, even though the question of white privilege and, and defund the police and structures and things like that may be news to some people. Um, so some people are coming around to it for the first time. And some people have always known it's been a problem. Some people think it's like gotten better. Um, but to kind of put all that into into light and to really think about, you know, this is a thing without obvious beginnings or endings is, I think, a really useful addition to the conversation that um, the culture is having at the moment. And I'll just say to wrap it up here and then we'll get to our our reading as much as it is. Um, in addition to everything you just said, Mike, and what you uh, spoken to, Abe, I do think the film is also just really entertaining. Like it, it works in the same way Black Klansman works, where it has important issues on its mind. It's putting out a lot of information as far as things that are both relevant, topical, things you can look into yourself, educate yourself on, what have you. But it also like it works as this kind of you know, it, it enters into genre mode. It has things that it has fun. It lets you, allows you to have fun with this despite some of the drama taking place. And I think that, that I think that's going to play well as far as the, the reception it's already having, but also as far as, you know, what the, what the Netflix audience is going to tune in for. There's a lot of movie here. We've addressed that, but I do think that it's wrapped up in a package that's, you know, it works as far as I want to keep watching this movie. Yeah. Spike Lee is a pretty accomplished genre filmmaker. When you think yeah. like he's got he's got a few misfires like like nobody yeah. likes old boy for instance but mm-hmm. like inside job Ins- is that what it is? Inside, inside man, man. Yeah. inside is man yeah inside man and then the more like detective thriller elements of Black Klansman um, and the action scenes here they're they're kind of familiar we've seen uh, war action Scouts. before and yeah. specifically yeah, Vietnam jungle uh, firefights and things like that but it's all very competently done he, um, maybe he just has a really good second unit guy but. It's uh, it's coherent and, and nicely executed. And so he, like, he can do action on yeah. top of it all. Well, with all of that said, I think it's going to wrap it up for our extended review of The Five Bloods. When should people go and see this movie? Obviously, it's streaming. So should people be streaming it right away? Should it be in their queue? I, I feel like we're already <laughs> where we are with this. But what would you say? Uh, I mean, it's a long movie, but I think that there's like a lot to take out of it. It's kind of heavy, too. So... I don't know if it's like an, an immediate thing that you have to go check out, but you should see it. Like it's not, you shouldn't just like put it in your queue and wait for it. I mean, it's just you just have to find the right time, the right mood to be in in the in the way to see it. Mike. Um. Well, so the context for me is I've been using social media lately to recommend black cinema to my student community, <clears throat> and and more specifically films about uh like African American encounters with police or the justice system more broadly in the hopes of entertaining students who are like they're mostly in their early twenties, encouraging them to think about and incorporate these themes into however it is they're processing what's going on in the world right now. So I haven't had time to rewatch most of these myself, but they've included films like Fruit Vale and Ava DuVernay's stuff and <clears throat> Chinonya Chukwu's Clemency, uh, uh, See You Yesterday, which I love. Have you guys that's seen that one? one? I've seen it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a really uh, a cool film. And so and it's, it's for like all ages, essentially, and it's only like 85 minutes. So it's like it's an easy watch. To yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's really neat. Right. And it does cool things about having sort of a, a young black girl who's also really interested in science. And like those are really positive things to see in addition to its uh, police brutality themes. Anyway. So given that I'm thinking about these things right now, I would absolutely put this um, on that list and say, you know, it's it's it works as a movie, uh, especially since I mean, we, we're kind of suffering a dearth of good material online right now. And so put it at the move it to the top of your list and and check it out sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've talked about several movies on this podcast since <laughs> since the the events of the pre bloodshed era led to where we are now. Um, and yeah, there's there, there's all, there's some good stuff out there, but this does feel you know there's an urgency to this given what's going on right now. But at the same time, it's just a really great movie, and it feels like quote unquote a real movie as far as something that you know has an auteur behind it, uh, has a lot of great things about it to kind of want to see on a big screen, even though we can't quite do that, so we can see it on our television screens. And I think it's well worth watching it via that way. Um, so yeah, uh, oh, I put can it, I can I ask a follow up, which is that I think it's it's pretty plain to see if you like Spike Lee. But more specifically, if you liked Black Klansman, then we would recommend this one, right, as a follow-up. Um, oh, for sure. But, yeah. but if, if someone were to say they really, really disliked Black Klansman for whatever reason, would you then say, yeah, you probably won't like this one then? Is that a fair leap, or would we recommend it nonetheless, given its ti- the timeliness of its themes? That's an interesting question, because I, I, I think that... They do feel like companion films, right? They they do, yeah. Mostly because like they they speak of things that are happening today, especially with Heather Heyer stuff at the end of Black Landsman. Right. Um, which happened like like a few months before the movie was released. Uh, It was a year to the date of the release, but on purpose. Yeah. Um, but I I if you didn't like Black Landsman because you didn't like the historical or the real life context things in it, then yes, you might not like this one. But at the same time, like again. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. You're probably not. Gonna, it's probably just like something you don't like about Spike Lee movies. That's. I think it speaks more to that, like a stylistic thing, as opposed to anything else. But I mean, I'm also not going to say if you don't like one film from a director, you shouldn't bother with any other films from a director. So I. Just, I mean, I, well, say, I didn't say that. I know you didn't say that. I know you didn't say that. But I mean, I understand what you're saying as far as they feel like they're bonded in whatever way. And I mean, yeah. I, I mean, girl I, six I, all day, but. Yeah, I'd say yeah. Try it anyway. I mean, like, what, what do you get? For one thing, you could turn it off. It's Netflix. But, I mean, I wouldn't say not start it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with all that, let's uh, let's move on to some feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. So we go over some of the various questions. Now, now, this is where we go over some of the various questions on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We have a number of questions we ask the listeners, and they gave us some answers here. Uh, Mike, feel free to chime in when you want to. we got some questions to go through. Abe, why don't you start this one off? First question is, uh, what are your favorite films about the Vietnam War? Farron writes, Jacob's Ladder. Chris has The Deer Hunter and The Killing Fields. Oh, and to lighten up the topic, or the mood, Tropic Thunder. Scott has Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket. Todd has Full Metal Jacket. Alan has Dead Presidents and Platoon. Dead Presidents, also a lot of calls in, in this movie. Um, Justin has Hamburger Hill, The, Iron, the Iron Triangle, 84... See Mopac uh-huh. um, and Good Morning Vietnam. Apocalypse Now all the all day for me is the the, the quintessential Vietnam movie in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, surprise. So did someone mention Platoon? It came up once. So yeah. it came up, but it didn't come up alongside uh, Born on the Fourth of July, which I, which I think is pretty great. But... Yeah, those are I'd say those Bruce, are both great. Yeah. 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 I think uh, that's on a short list of his best performances in Born on Fourth of July. What's right. that, Mel, that Mel Gibson one that didn't get mentioned? We Were uh, Soldiers. We Were Soldiers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a weird movie. Um, uh, as far as like a, uh, a lighthearted movie, that's also kind of sad. For sure, Forrest Gump. Um, but honestly, I think like um, you guys mentioned a lot of it. I, I'd say as far as like the Vietnam War movies go, if you just want to watch – documentaries about it too you should just do that it's it's pretty terrible yeah uh, oh yeah ken, the, ken, the ken, ken burns. burns yeah, yeah. Ken burns yeah. Has a, it's like a giant. 10 part documentary yeah yeah are we counting also i mean those are all uh like combat movies about uh-huh. vietnam and i'm wondering if we can also include movies like coming home and things like that about 
the experiences sure. of veterans who uh, once yeah, they return, from, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually just watched Deer Hunter uh, last week. It came out on a new Blu-ray from Shout Factory, and um, I haven't seen that movie since high school in full. It's that De Niro and Christopher Walken and uh, Mike you know, John Cazale, like they, those guys are pretty good guys. I, I don't know, John I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty good. John Cazale like batted a thousand. He like had five yeah. movies that were like all fantastic. Next question we have here: favorite Delroy Lindo performance. Scott writes, "Get Shorty." Alan has Congo, uh, specifically a scene where he tells Tim Curry to uh, stop eating sesame, sesame cake. cake. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris writes, uh, "Malcolm X, The Cider House Rules," and he was good in The Good Fight. That's a TV series. He knows it's not a film, but he wanted to mention it anyway. Um, I I am a big fan of his Malcolm X performance. He's terrific in a supporting role in that film, as well as Clockers. He's really good in Clockers. Like it, it's a uh, like scary good because he plays quite the character in that film yeah i need uh, to rewatch clockers i think that might have been my my entry point into spike lee i'm not i, I can't know at this point but mine's crooklyn i know for a fact i saw yeah. crooklyn first of his films nice i i love get shorty uh-huh. um so I'll, I'll i'll do that but there's a I don't, uh, this is a movie no one cares about anymore but uh a life less ordinary Oh, Danny I like a lot. I'm, I'm one of the few fans of Danny Boyle's second, or third movie. <laughs> right. It's, I, I, it's probably not good, but I, I have a soft spot for it. And he, he's what? He's an angel who's a he, partner with uh, Holly Hunter, right? And, and yes. Yeah. He's not in it uh, as much as I'd like, but he's when he is in it, he's he's very very funny. It is a movie that is totally and completely what it wants to be, and that's what it is, and it's fine for that. <laughs> um, Abe, do you have any right. no Redlando performances? Uh, Roman was dead. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> he's, he's, it's just another, uh, it's just another uh, black and Asian alliance, like uh, the the Five Bloods. But <laughs> um, well, isn't uh, he? Is there? There's a David Mamet movie with where he's uh, heist. With, heist, heist, with Gene, Gene Hackman, Hackman, right? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why did the chicken cross the road? Because the road crossed the chicken. That's his line classic movie. line. <laughs> it's a great line. <laughs> what no, a there's another line. line. There's another line. It's I think it's Ricky Jay. It's not Del Lindo, but. Yeah. Uh, the guy says, like, that guy's so cool when he goes to sleep, sheep count him. Yeah, it's it's so many cool lines like that. Danny DeVito has one. He's Who like, wrote this what? movie? David Mamet. <laughs> yeah, Danny DeVito has a line. It's, um, uh, everybody wants money. That's why they call it money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, next question is, uh, what are your favorite films about hunting for treasure? Todd has Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Goonies, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Chris has Time Bandits, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> and Catherine has Holes, uh, the book by Louis Sackar. Th- those are all good. Treasure, Sierra Madre, we've mentioned many times, and the movie's obviously referencing it a lot, so that, that stands out. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, City Slickers 2? Lur- what are they Is searching it, for in that movie? Curse. <laughs> oh. Is it the search for? Oh, okay. It's the search for the, Curly's gold. Yeah. I think it. I believe it's the. I think it's the legend of Curly's. Legend of? Okay. It's not the so curse. I'm, of. I'm looking this up because this is very important. Yeah. You keep I going. think it's the search. Yeah. Um, a movie that parallels uh, Defy Bloods uh, very very closely. Uh, Triple Frontier. There you go. City Slickers two colon, the legend of Curly's legend. Gold. Legend. Yeah. Okay. Legend. <laughs> oh brother, where art thou? Is a treasure treasure hunt, isn't it? In a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he wants to get back to his house so he can get his supply of Dapper Dan cans as well as the money that he has. Yeah. You know what else? You know what else is also another movie about treasure hunting? Uh, that one Tom Hanks movie that also flopped. What Lady Killers? Yes, that one. The Lady. Yeah, that's a heist movie more than a treasure, but I get what you're saying. 
Small time crooks. There you go. Ooh, what about uh, Three Kings? Three, which is yeah, you could watch that alongside this movie. Well, yeah. they're not they're not hunting for treasure so much as trying to get away. Well, they're taking it back. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to they're trying to steal treasure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great Spike Jones performance. Can you breathe? It is a great spot. That movie's great. I, I'm a really yeah. big fan. Of Who directed that? David O. Russell. Wow. He he and George Clooney got in a fist fight in that movie. I mean, a lot of people want to fight David O. Russell. That's true. Including he, Jennifer Lawrence. They they calm, they all calm down. And, calm down yeah, more. Billy Talman's not a fan either. There's clips online. Next question we have here. Favorite films relying on flashbacks to help tell the story. Chris writes The Usual Suspects, Life of Pi, and Amadeus. And Scott has Memento. Rashomon, come on. Rashomon, yeah, that's great. Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire, yeah, that's a good one. Citizen Kane. Heard of that? (laughs) Why am I going classic? uh, Because we're going backwards. (laughs) Oh, uh, what about uh, Fight Club? The uh, flashback humor. Mm. That great line. That is a great line. That's a great, like, I watched this movie for two hours, and that's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that way, that's our that's our feedback for this week. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's. Uh, well, with that said, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Uh, you can find all the rest of my work at thecodazy.com. That's my personal blog where all my reviews end up. I'm also on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe. Find more fun stuff over my Instagram, Abe.Mula, and Twitter.com/slash/WallersMoose. Hashtag. I have no. I don't have a really good hashtag for this one, Aaron. You have to come up with it later. <laughs> Great googly moogly. Yeah, there you go. Great, that has no relevance in the movie. Uh, Mike Dillon, where can people find more of you? <clears throat> oh, I'm not online. And or do you have anything you want to promote? <laughs> uh, no, frankly, I I prefer people just left me alone. Okay. No, Fair actually, enough. oh, can I promote something just completely off off topic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but people are it, people it, are not going to leave you alone now. Well, it, it it's not me. It's just uh, uh, I was wondering. Uh, what films I've seen recently because I thought you might ask <clears throat> and the answer is honestly not much I've been weirdly busy with stuff even during the quarantine but I've made a fun discovery that I want to share with you guys and, and people uh, who might be interested in this I've been watching a lot of Asian martial arts films mm-hmm. um, mostly the sort of post-raid movies like they're all oh, raid they're all raid wannabes to one yeah. extent or another so and recent I'm, films uh-huh. yeah they're not none of them are quite as good but I've right. come across an actor and a slash fight choreographer who I, I'm really into right now. His name is Jean-Paul Lee. Okay. He's a French Cambodian, mm-hmm. and he's absolutely awesome. Uh, I recommend a Cambodian film called Jailbreak, and the other one is a UK action comedy called Night Shooters. Um, neither are that spectacular, but the fight choreography is really, really on point. And I think uh, with a little bit more exposure, this guy absolutely belongs in conversations along with the likes of like Eco Wise and Tony Ja and and so on. So I, I hope people go check him out, and I hope he skyrockets. I'm really impressed by this guy. Where are those films available? Are they on Netflix or Amazon? Or? Uh oh, I'd have to double check. Let me check. Let me check. Let me check. What what was what was one of the names of the movies again? Jailbreak and Night Shooters. Jailbreak. Night Shooters is on Prime. Okay. And it's that's a fun one because it's about uh, uh, a film crew that stumbles onto a gang hit and the gangsters start coming after them and they're like what do we do what do we do and it turns out their stuntman is like a legit john wick style martial art martial artist um and it's it's quite fun it's actually kind of an interesting premise <laughs> so yeah definitely go check that one out okay and i think jailbreak is on um netflix it could be wrong but check it out okay 
Thanks for the recommendations. Yes. Um, you can find all your episodes, other episodes of Out Now with Aaron Day on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HSWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or write on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And, of course, our Instagram page. Follow us there at instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. Once again, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be great to help us out in the old charts there. Mike Dillon, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank, thank you, Mike. guys. Please be safe. Thank you, you too. as well. Yeah, and uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Goodbye.